We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. It's an honor and a privilege uh, this morning to have uh, Terry and Sam Lee. Uh, with us, and uh, I'm going to ask him if he if, if whatever y'all are going to do, y'all just come on, and make your way. This 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 couple has done so much for for Susan and I. Uh, every week on Thursdays, uh, Thursday mornings, we have a uh, I, I get to be a part of a, of a group. Uh, it's called MVP Leadership Group, and it's pastors all over, literally all over the United States. Um, from the west coast to east coast, north, south, and um, this guy and this lady puts it together each week, and uh, uh, it is an encouragement to me, uh, and I know it's an encouragement to many other pastors, but uh, thank you, both of you, for for what God has called you to do uh, for us, for, for, for me, for uh, my family. But what you, you, you both speak volumes into my life, and I appreciate that very much. And it's an honor to have you guys this morning. Thank you for being here. I love you. God bless you, Pastor. Love you. Y'all give him a hand this morning. It's always an honor uh, to be in any pastor's uh, pulpit. Can you tell I had him lower it down today? I like this. I think I'm going to start traveling one of these babies. Most of the time I stand up on stage and I feel like I'm behind an oak tree or something. I look like a puppet. All they see is my head and my mouth moving up here. It's ventriloquism at its best. <laughs> uh, I, want you to, I want you to understand today that God, I believe, already in this service, and I believe through this message, is working in sync to do something that's uh, in- incredibly important for you personally, but also, I believe, for this body of believers. Um, I don't think things happen by accident. I don't think people say things by accident. I don't think God leads a pastor to say certain things in a service that will be in sync with what the guy's going to preach later when they didn't know what each other was going to say. I don't think that's by accident. How many of you are a believer in that with me? Do we still believe the Holy Spirit can lead us, guide us, direct us, and move us into a place, whether it be physical, emotional, or spiritual, where we can hear from God? Hear a word from God. And we could walk out of here already and say God was good today. God's changed and, and helped lives today who have been in this altar. And we praise the, the Lord for that. So this word that I'm going to give you today, I, I can't stand up here and tell you that I've, uh, I've developed this completely and fully and to the hilt. Because it's, that would be a lie. 
I will tell you that this week, in my personal uh, study, I could not get out of the book of Ezra, and I could not get out of the book of Nehemiah. And so I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. I don't even have a good title to coin it. I could, I could say uh, something, and maybe something will come out of this while, while I'm talking today. But I do believe God has a word for us, including myself, in this room from Nehemiah chapter 1 as we break that scripture down. The people of God had been in decades of captivity, Babylonian captivity, 70 years, I believe it was, Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians themselves had been overtaken by another kingdom, and then that kingdom, once it came into authority, began to look through the scrolls and look through the history books and find out about Jerusalem or about Judah and what had happened back then, and they allowed a remnant of the people of God to go back home. They got back home, and I I hesitate to say a certain amount of years because I really don't know how many years they had all been back. I do believe Ezra had been back in Judah in this area for about 20 years before we have the book of Nehemiah that starts to happen. But when they got back, they came back to rubble. They came back to destruction. They came back to a broken down uh, situation. In fact, as I was reading through Nehemiah, and, and most of you know the story, but they began to rebuild the wall, which we'll talk a little bit about that today. But I really want to dive into chapter 1. But I noticed when they began to rebuild the wall in later chapters of Nehemiah that one of the people, it says he had to build the wall across from the tombs of David and down the wall from the house of the warriors or the mighty men, really the barracks of the military. And I began to put myself in that guy's spot in his thinking. And his name was Nehemiah too, by the way, different Nehemiah. He had to sit and look at what had been and believe God for what was going to be or what the future would hold for the people. Sometimes we can't see what God wants to do now or in the future for looking back over our shoulder to what God has been in our lives. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I just want to tell you that God was good in the past, but God can be great and greater in the future. And sometimes people, we all pass away. We all move on in this life. The King Davids who led us in the past, they're, they're dead. The guy who went out into the field and killed Goliath, he's gone. And we're faced with situations that necessarily we didn't always create, but we've got we to live with it or we've got to do something about it. Now, 
the people had gone into captivity because they had sinned. God took his hand off of his people. He allowed them to be judged by the Babylonians, and they had, they had come under captivity because of sin. Let's not just coat that over and pass it up, because we'll talk about that here in a minute, too. So everybody had to take a little bit of responsibility for where they were, right? But at some point, you've got to move forward, and you've got to do things in the midst of what was and believe God for what he's doing now and what he's going to do tomorrow. And you've got to have eyes of faith. Everybody say faith. It takes faith to rebuild a wall when you're looking at the graveyard. It takes faith to rebuild the wall when you're looking at the place where it used to have this great army of men who protected you. You see, they, were, they had lost three things. They had lost their identity, the wall represented their identity. Uh, they, had, they had lost uh, their integrity. These walls that they built around these cities were, were very, very thick and strong. They had lost the integrity of, of who they were. Uh, and they had to get that back somehow, some way, their image was broken down. Their gates had burned down. The place where everybody walked into their city was in flames, had, been, had, had gone down in flames. And it was bad news, bad news for Nehemiah when his friends come to see him in Nehemiah chapter 1. And I want us to just read this scripture, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? Is everybody with me this morning? So these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me. I'm sorry. Everybody stand. You didn't need me to tell you that, did you? They came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us from, the ser- from your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful, unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today 
by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And he says this last line. He says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Lord, I pray your anointing on this message and this section of scripture today. Let me speak your words to your people today. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. What do you do when you get bad news? I remember the day we got the phone call on the death of my wife's brother who had been in a major car accident, uh, was in a comatose state. And I remember when that hit my living room or my kitchen, we dropped to our knees and we, we were on the floor. And I was holding my wife who was weeping. What do you do when you get bad news? Uh, I think there's always a reaction to bad news, to the unthinkable, to the unfathomable. Out, the first thing that comes out to me in this scripture is bad news, and some, it'll take, sometimes it'll take you off your feet. Anybody ever been there? You've, you've received the worst news you feel like you could receive in a given day. And if you don't think bad news can take you off your feet, you better live a little longer. Don't sit in judgment of someone who's in grief. Grief can cut you down like a tree. <laughs> and that's what happened to Nehemiah. It set him down. It said he sat down. It took him to that place that none of us really want to go. But I'm struck with this thought. The answer to Jerusalem and the broken wall started with the bad news that came to someone who had access to the king. Sometimes bad news can be the building block that helps to restore where you're going in your life. And it, it takes a person of faith to thank God for the bad times. It takes a person of faith to thank God for the bad news because the bad news caused me to start opening my eyes to what could be done and what the future could hold. I don't like bad news. I don't like it when my business is going down. I don't like it when my kids are in trouble. I don't like it when my family's up against it. I don't like it when my church is in a tough spot. I don't like bad news. But sometimes things cannot get better until you understand really what you're up against. Can I get an amen? He got bad news. It put him on his seat, but then it put him on his face in mourning. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to mourn loss. It's okay to mourn what you had. I think that's a natural reaction. When you lose something, you can't just get over it in a New York minute. Sometimes you've got to go through a process. Sometimes you've got to grieve. Sometimes you need to cry. Sometimes you've got to let that hurt come out. But you can't necessarily stay on your seat and you can't necessarily stay on your face forever because eventually you got to get over to your knees and that's what Nehemiah let it it took him to his seat in just astonishment it took him to his face in grief but then it took him to his knees in prayer and it took him to a place of self-denial he, he began to fast and he began to pray and he began to hear from God in those quiet times when no one was around and nobody could hear him necessarily weeping. 
but yet God can speak. Has anybody in this room ever had God speak to you in a midnight hour when no one else could get through to you? Nothing else could speak peace to your life. Nothing could give you the plan for the future. You couldn't even dream of anything for your future, but yet God came in the room and God came at your bedside and God came in your dark moment and gave you a future. And that's why you're sitting in this room today. Do I have a witness in this room? Has anybody ever blown up your own life? (laughs) Has anybody ever shot your own feet off? I have. Have you ever been sitting somewhere and go, man, that is the dumbest stupidest mistake that anybody could have ever made in their lifetime whether that be sin or just human nature have you ever been there and go there ain't no coming back from this idiocy or am I the only one am I the only one that's made a mistake the people of God had made mistakes but it took him eventually to his knees and then it took him to a place of confession He didn't just blame it on everybody else. Nehemiah began to confess that, yes, Lord, I have sinned. Yes, Lord, my family has sinned. Yes, I'm partly responsible for this. He took bad news personal. Some people act like they walk around like they've got a bulletproof vest on all the time. and That's not going to bother me. I'm an overcomer. I'm I'm a doer. I'm whatever. Let me tell you something. When bad news are like this, if we don't take it personal, who else is going to take it personal? I remember the day I was a youth pastor in Crossville, Tennessee, and it came over the news that my hometown, my home city, a few blocks from where I used to work in Oklahoma City had been hit by terrorism. And I remember how I reacted because those were my people bleeding in the streets. Those were my buildings, I felt like, in the rubble in downtown Oklahoma City. That was my babies who were bleeding out there. I took it personal. And if I could have put my hands around the neck of the person that had done it right then, I would have done it. I wanted a piece of them. (laughs) That don't sound real spiritual today, but I did. I did. I'd have signed up. I'd have went down there. I would have done whatever I could. My little five-foot-two self, I'd have chewed their knees off and choked them to death, whatever. I wanted to kill somebody because that was my wall that was broken down. And a few years earlier, I could have been down that street. I could have been the one laying on the side. When in the world are we going to start seeing things and take it personal and quit thinking it's that church's problem, it's that city's problem, it's that nation's problem, it's that guy's problem. It's our problem sometimes, y'all. And we have got to be a part of the solution. He took it personal. It put him on his knees. He took responsibility for it. He began to confess. And he went through this time of confession, but then also he... When he's in this confession, he's getting right with God himself, it seems like. He began to, he began to think on the promises of God. <laughs> At some point in your prayer life, you got to quit crying and whining and moaning. And, and, and you got to go through some of that. But then all of a sudden, you got to know and you got to remember the promises and the blessings of God. 
He said, God, you said, I want you to remember what you said. Even if we fell away, even if we did this, even if we sinned, that no matter where we ended up on the face of this planet, the ends of the earth. Anybody ever felt like you were at the ends of the earth? If we even ended up in the ends of the earth, Lord, you said you would bring us back. I'm here to tell somebody in this room, you think you're at the end of your earth. God can bring you back. You may have put yourself there. It doesn't matter. You can still come back. You may feel like your circumstances have been created by someone else. And you are stuck in a prison that you did not put the bars around the cell. I'm here to tell you God can break you out of that cell. And God can bring you back to a place of restoration in him. But it's going to come. When you take responsibility and you lay your life before God and you say, God, I'm here. I don't know what to do, but here I am. This is what you promised, Lord. And when he began to rehearse the promises of God and talk about the bring back or the comeback, he went right into a place of humility. This scripture takes him into a place of humility. He says, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Sometimes the way to come back and the way that God's going to bring you back is through the servanthood spirit where you're going to end up helping people out of the rubble that you created either yourself or that you're having to live in. He said, we're just servants, God. He began to say, we're humble. I'm humble before you, Lord. I'm not in charge of anything. I'm just the king's cupbearer. I'm just the guinea pig, if you will i got to drink the cup so that the king don't die if somebody poisons it. Right? I mean, what could, that, we think of Nehemiah as being in, uh, an important guy. I don't know if in the kingdom they really looked at those dudes as important, right? Other than you're going to die before me, sucker. <laughs> right? But now think of this. He also had access to the king. And you can never make a real difference until you get access. Access comes before favor. Somebody needs to hear that. Because you have access to somebody somewhere who has resources that can make a difference in problems and broken down walls and situations that other people don't have. And you're not there by accident. You're not the secretary of a king by accident. You're not the employee of a business king by accident. You're not building multi-million dollar homes by accident. We talked to a friend of mine who is in another area of Arkansas. Somebody say Arkansas. Say it loud. Say Arkansas. Like, like, do I need to go woo peak suey up in here to get y'all to be proud of Arkansas? Everybody give it woo. No, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. can't do it. I know how to do it, but I can't do it. He's talking about, he, he literally builds uh, $10, $15 million homes uh, up in the Bentonville area. Uh, all these uber-rich chicken farmers are his clients. Tyson, I don't remember the other names, Georges. I didn't even know George, there was a George in the chicken business, but there, there is. Uh but he also said, you know, I went down to Texas the other day, and he said, there are people. He's getting, a, he's getting a vendor down in Texas to help him build these homes in Arkansas. Now, now get it. This boy's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? He didn't grow up 
He's just an Arkansas guy who learned how to really build homes really well. He's an elite builder. And I've watched him over the years. God's just taken him from here to here to here to here. He used to be a trim carpenter. But he was so good at trim carpentry, he moved up to the next level. Next level. Next level. He began to have access. So he's down there in Texas the other day. And it's amazing to me how God can take you from one dream here to another dream over here in just one smooth conversation. One accessible point, right? And I don't know. I'm just trying to teach today that God can take you to a place. You may feel like you have access right now at one level, but God maybe has you at that level to get you to this level. And it may come two or three years down the road, and it may blow your mind. Just be open to where God has placed you and be open to how God wants to use you if you have access. He's talking to this dude that makes cabinets down there, and he's probably going to get him to come up to that area and help him. He's building one of the Tyson's house right now. And you understand, these houses take years to build. <laughs> years. And uh, he said, this guy told him, he said, I said you, he said, you wouldn't believe. He said, you're working on those 15, uh, $20 million houses up there in Bentonville. He said, there are guys down here in Texas They'll come to us and they'll say, I want you to build this house and I need you to get it built in 15 years. And it's a $140 million project. My buddy said, I'm thinking to myself, it takes them 15 years to build that house? Ask me to come, I'll get it done in six. Have I got any builders in the house today? Anybody works construction up in here? a construction person in here. I don't even know why I'm telling this story then. You got one right there? Who knows? I'm just saying, who knows where my friend is going to end up being? I don't know who he's going to have access to. I don't know who's the audience that he's going to be in. All I'm telling you is Nehemiah had an audience with the king, and he was doing this menial job where he could lose his life at any minute if somebody tried to take out the king. But because he was in that menial job, he had access to the, all the resources of the kingdom. And then when he gets up off his knees, and somewhere in this prayer time, somewhere in this confession time, somewhere in this pouring his heart out to God in grief and just trying to figure out, man, what can I do about this problem? God begins to give him a plan because the plan had to form in prayer because he starts praying for favor at the end of chapter 1. Before you ever see the plan implemented in chapter 2 and on, on into the book, it started in prayer. I'm here to tell someone in this room, God can give you the plan to fix a problem that you're looking at right now. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what the broken down wall that you're looking at is. It may be your own family. It may be your own marriage. It may be your own uh, business. It, I don't know. But I'm here to tell you, God, in prayer and in humility and in confession and in just laying your life before God, God can give you the plan to start fixing the problem. Don't minimize yourself. Don't marginalize yourself out of the equation. No more than you marginalize or minimize yourself in the place of confession. Don't minimize yourself in the place of I'm an answer to this problem. Can I remind you that the largest 
grocery store and department store chain probably in the world on the planet came out of Arkansas. I do not believe the last Walmart has been created. Get an amen. We think, we get up in the morning, we think what has been done, what can be done has already been done. What can be dreamt of has already been dreamt of. There's not a new idea on the planet that's going to change anything that has to do with the problems that we look at in society. There, God, if you were going to do it, you had already done it through somebody else, and he's wanting us to get on our knees and become a part of the answer. Uh, humility. Then he starts to pray for favor. Please grant me success because the plan was already in his head. The plan was already getting in his heart. Please grant me success today. Make the king favorable to, favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. I was just the king's cupbearer. Now, I'm going to stop with this. I, I, don't, I don't know who's downloading this into your life today or what this is speaking to somebody in this room. But this was just the beginning of the answer. There was five or six months that went past this point until he ended up implementing what was going on with the king. So he didn't just, like, get an idea one night and then jump into it the next night. And, he, he, and if, you, if you dive into chapter 2, he was also very discreet in who he talked to, who he gave his dream to. He didn't just get out there in the streets and go, I'm going to be... The man, y'all get it behind me and follow me. He didn't do that. He, he was very humble. In fact, when he said he spoke to the king in chapter 2, he said he trembled and he was, he was scared because the king could end his life just like that just because he looked sad. He walked into the king. He was scared to death. He was looking downcast because he took it personal. Those were his people in the streets. But yet, because he prayed, five, six months and let God birth this dream and, and incubate this dream and just grow it, all of a sudden, at the time he needed the favor, God had the favor for him. And can I tell you that the favor of the king was really the favor of his God? <laughs> God can still cause kings to lay out whatever you need to lay out in front of you to do what God's called you to do. If you need timber to build the doors of the wall, the king is going to say, yes, I'm going to let you do it. In fact, if you look into chapter 2, when he finally got the courage to talk to the king and say, this is what I need, this is what, I, this is what I'd really like to have, the king gave him more than he needed for that job to be done. He gave him the access to go through other kingdoms. Remember, they wrote him a letter talking about access, wrote him the letter, gave him the favor. And also gave him charioteers and uh, horsemen and people to protect him as he went from place to place until he got to where God was calling him to be, to that broken down wall. Don't tell me God can't fix your problem. If he can fix that problem and use Nehemiah to do it, he can use you, Pastor. He can use you, Miss Susan. He can use you, 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 you. I began to think about the 70 years a while ago. I, I talked to the, the mother of the house over here before church started. She was married, what, 70, 
71 years. 71 years later, I'm here to tell you God can still use you as a voice of encouragement in this church and as a voice of encouragement for the body of Christ and a voice of encouragement for young leaders and young pastors and young people out there who don't think they can make it another day, but you've gone through 71 years of it and you know they can. God will help us build. You know, they end up building that wall in 52 days. 52 days. To me, not again, I, I may be wrong about this, but I, I don't believe they made all the bricks and did all of that and got all the building supplies and made all that from scratch. I believe that they got a lot of that broken down rubble and they restored what was broken down and they began to use that. He began to implement the plan of God through the people house by house, section by section. He said, brother, I want you to go and I want you to rebuild the wall that's right across from where you live. I, I want you to help be a part of getting the identity for Israel back. I want you to be a part of getting the security back. See, they'd lost identity, security. They'd lost everything in the integrity of their country or their people, right? I want you to be a part of that. I want you to get your heart right together. I want you to confess first, and then I want you to pick up a trowel, and I want you to go to work on that wall, and we're going to rebuild this sucker. And there was no one that they didn't, they didn't ask to be a part of that. The only people that had no right to it were those detractors, Sandballot, Tobiah, and maybe there was one more. It escapes me right now. But they began to exclude them when they popped off Everybody's not going to be happy when you start rebuilding something and you begin to do the plan of God in your life. Don't look for 100% uh, support. They didn't get it. Nehemiah didn't get it, and you're not going to get it either. If you ever get into a place where you got 100% support, <laughs> thank God for it. <laughs> and don't, don't think it might last forever, <laughs> right? Because usually if you start doing something great for God, somebody's not going to like it. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Start the business anyway. Be the, the helper for the plan of God anyway. And do what God has put in your heart to do. Don't stay in the land of bad news. We can either react or we can respond. And probably we should, human nature is going to cause us to do both. I think the reaction put him on his seat. But the response put him on his knees. And some of y'all need to quit reacting to the bad news that is out in the society and out in our world today or maybe that you've experienced in the last few years. Some of y'all are still in a state of reaction to bad things that have happened to you. Bad news that you got. You've not gotten over it. I'm telling you, today is the day to begin to move forward in your life. Stop living in the culture and under the cloud of bad news. Let it put you on your knees. Get the plan of God and move forward. Move forward because there's walls to be built. There's identity to build. There's security that we need. We've got to rebuild the integrity of our church, of our country, of our society. I'm not going to leave the things that we're going through day to day in this world up to all the village idiots. 
I'm not. And it's going to continue like that until somebody. And it's, see, here's, here's another thing. I'm just I'm, I'm shooting from the hip now. He changed from a cupbearer into a governor. I believe God is going to take cupbearers today and make them leaders and governors tomorrow. We got, a, we got an MVP in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee that got fed up with his city, fed up with what's going on. And he said, I'm going to make a difference. And he began to run for public office. So now David Morgan is not only the pastor of Lawrenceburg uh, or United Church in Lawrenceburg, but he's the mayor of that county. All because, was it hard? Yeah, it was hard. He, he hated that whole deal of having to campaign and do all that. But now he's in a place where he can, do, he can make a difference in certain areas that he couldn't be before. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I'm not saying everybody's called to be the mayor or the governor or whatever. I certainly have no aspirations for public office like that. If you ever see me become a governor, you know that was God. <laughs> he ain't told me, so I ain't going to run. But that don't mean he's not telling you. And that doesn't mean he's not telling you to do something. And if you don't do it, your spot on the wall is going to be an open hole. If you say, no, I'm not going to do it, it's going to be a mistake. And it's not only going to hurt you and your family, but it's going to hurt all of us because then we're exposed again. It only takes one spot in the wall for the enemy to get through. Let's make a difference, y'all. Is this, are, y'all, are y'all receiving this today? Lord, I pray over this church right now. Uh, you've, I don't think I've ever gone into a church and preached like this or preached something like this where it almost just seemed like a Bible study, Lord, but this is what you, I believe, led me to do today. Now, I, I pray for individuals in this room. I believe there are people in this room right now, Lord, when I've been speaking some of these things, that it's been like bombs blowing up in their spirit. Not in a bad way, but explosions of vision, explosions of dreams, explosions of remembrances of what you promised them in the past that they've kind of given up on. It had been 70 years, God, before they got to go back home. And even years later until they rebuilt the wall. But it was all because you promised to bring them back. I'm asking you to remind people in this room of promises you made to them years and years ago, but you still want to come to pass in their life. And Lord, let it it explode in vision. Let it explode in expectancy. Let it explode in excitement for the future. And as we honor the past, God, let us walk with vision into the future. As we honor our forefathers, let us walk into the future and let us be willing to rebuild the wall even in the graveyard sometimes, God, and make the difference that you've called on us to make. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Before I turn it back to your pastor, I want to talk to you today and just give you a thank you. 2017, God began to put on Sam and I's heart a ministry for pastors and a ministry for ministry leaders, which Pastor Shannon alluded to today. And I'm going to tell you something. I feel like your pastor is like a brother to me. Whatever he needs, I need. Whatever he celebrates, I celebrate. 
And it's all because we begin to move on a dream that God put in our hearts. Uh, I'm not here every week to see, I, I wasn't here last week to see y'all blow up the whole county. I think that's incredible, though. Would y'all have 500 people out here, 400 people? Yeah, the whole town out here, probably. This church is an influential church because you have a, a great leader and you have a great heritage of leadership in this church. And MVP exists solely to honor, encourage, and connect leaders like your pastors around the country to keep them in place to make the difference and to do the plan of God that God's called them to do. And I just want to say thank you to this church. I want to say thank you to your leadership. I want to say thank you to anybody who cares enough to pray for a pastor. Any, any offerings that you've ever given us through MVP, I want to thank you for that. I really do. Because we cannot exist and do not exist on our own. We too need the favor of God to come through the favor of men. And we've seen that. We've seen that. I can tell you some stories that blow your mind about what God can do financially when you don't know it's coming or don't even have a clue it's coming. But because God uses the access that someone else has, and a, uh, they literally became a, a king of resources under my nose. But because of relationships prior, they begin to give us access to what God has given them. That has birthed and it has solidified us financially. When we started uh, MVP, I didn't know your pastor. I didn't know most of the 150 pastors and wives that we have in the in the group now. We need to quit calling it group, by the way. We're getting a little larger than a group. It sounds like a dozen of us or something. But every Thursday we'll have, like last week we had 52 pastors on the first Zoom call. The second Zoom call we had 18. And that was a low day. So God has caused us to grow and God's caused favor to come from those churches and from those pastors. And this is one of them. Bro, I just want to tell you, I love you. You have my heart, Susan. You have our heart. Whatever you need to do what God's put in your heart to do in this church, through this church, if I can help you, I'll do it. I'm just a cupbearer right now. <laughs> but I'm here for you. How many of y'all love your pastors? I love you. y'all received this word today that we've preached today. 